Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Hawthorne, Tatman, Jenkins, Hutchinson, Hirsi Ali and Plumwood. Let's get radical about philosophy. Welcome to Radical Philosophy. I'm your host, Beth Matthews. Today on the program, I'm going to be speaking with Professor Alexandra Carnanese about feminist epistemology. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. So could you give us a little bit of background information about yourself? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, I was born in Italy uh, and I did my undergraduate in Italy, but then I moved uh, to the UK to do me, my PhD. And I then also studied in the United States. Incidentally, it might be of interest to your listeners, I also spent six months at the University of Sydney and I absolutely loved it. Uh, I work uh, on the theory of knowledge, as you know, uh, that's what epistemology means, it means theory of knowledge. And uh, my fo- focus is on the place of values in science, on the influence of power and other social factors on knowledge and inquiry. I'm also interested in intellectual virtues, like curiosity, perhaps, um, uh, like perseverance, and in intellectual vices. And I've written especially on arrogance. And if you don't mind me having a little plug here, I've got a book coming out with Oxford University Press called The Mismeasure of the Self, which is about uh, intellectual vices such as arrogance, narcissism, and so on and so forth. It was written during the Trump presidency, so I had plenty of examples at the time. Well, that sounds really interesting. Oh well, that could be another another interview in the in the um, in the future. So, um, what was it that inspired your interest in feminist epistemology? Right. Uh, And so uh, I was really interested from actually quite a young age, uh, perhaps because I was a sickly child, but uh, on the fact that there was real disparity, especially in medicine, of what we knew about men and women and illness. And I was really interested in, in the fact that it didn't seem to me that this ignorance was accidental. It seemed that there was less investment in trying to figure out things that affected women rather than men. Uh, uh, and, and so I, was, I became really interested on how uh, factors like gender, uh, like power, like money uh, influences what we know and what we do not know. Uh, and, and, and I suppose I was really interested in uh, women's equality and how if you look at things from uh, the perspective of what things look like for, from, for women or what things look like if you have women's interests at heart, you know, how that perspective was not really reflected or not as reflected as fully as it could have been 
in in uh, in science but also in history you know in all sort of the disciplines and so i was interested you know on how gender relates to knowledge and that's how my interest in feminist epistemology really started all right so that leads me into my next question how is science sexist right so the important thing is it doesn't have to be right so it's not like a matter of necessity is not fate, right? Science can be uh, informed by values of equality, uh, but there is a tradition in science uh, uh, that uh, means that scientists come to have come sometimes to investigate phenomena with prejudices, right? I mean, scientists are like everybody else; they are human beings. Uh, and so far as they are the products of a sexist society, uh, it is likely, uh, right, that they will share the same prejudices of their society and that these will inform the way they look at things, the questions they ask, right? Uh, so much of what science does is informed by the curiosity of the people who do it, the money that, <laughs> that decide what gets investigated or what doesn't get investigated and just the the presumptions and so scientists uh, science is sexist in the way in which society is sexist and there have been plenty of examples in the past uh for instance when people who studied uh human fertilizations kind of assume that the role of the female gamete was completely passive waiting right for the sperm to to reach it doing nothing right uh, and there was no evidence that that was the case it's just that people we are blinded to the evidence that actually the ovum attracts the sperm right because they presume that the active role must have been played by the male right so so this is an example of how a sort of prejudice or an assumption shaped a whole theory, right? But as I said, uh, science does not have to be sexist. And in fact, the early forms of feminist epistemology were about trying to uncover these hidden assumptions in current scientific theories and to reveal how they were unfunded. So science can be you know, fair in, in the future, but has unfortunately, like everything else, a track record of being sexist. Um, what would your definition of feminist epistemology be? Right. Uh, so, right. Um, right. So uh, you can just say any study of knowledge that is informed by feminist values is feminist epistemology. Or you can be more specific and say the study of knowledge that seeks to uncover sexist and androcentric. Androcentric means putting the male at the center, so putting the male as the paradigm. Androcentric assumptions, right? And and look at, looks at things from a feminist viewpoint and seeks to promote feminist values. So you know, basically, just the study of knowledge, keeping feminist values in mind, keeping women's interests in mind, not not with the view, you know, to replace uh, men, you know, 
pos paradigmatic position with female paradigmatic position, but with a view to have a more social, more equal society where women interests are equal of equal value or of equal importance to men's interests. Sure. What is mainstream epistemology? Right. Uh, these days, the term is used as a term of abuse, and so it used to mean whatever epistemology people dislike. Uh, but um, but it, when I used it in my book, the, an introduction to feminist epistemology, that epistemologists that I now you know seems I've written such a long time ago, uh, it was used to mean the kind of epistemology that is taught in philosophy departments. That you know that students do as undergraduate and it used to be the kind of study of knowledge that had no interest for social location or political power right that sort of had this idea of the individual uh, uh, knowing things like uh, that there is a mug on this table right so so the interest was on the analysis of knowledge and the examples were really trivial examples like the cap is on the table and so on and so forth. And there was no interest on how we depend on other people for a lot of what we know. There was no interest on how, you know, uh, as I said, people that occupy different social locations have different experiences and therefore are likely to know different things, how uh, power shapes knowledge. There was no interest in any of that. So that was mainstream because it was taught in philosophy departments in the Anglophone world, and that has no had no interest for for social issues. Things have changed now, though. Even mainstream epistemology has become more social. Uh, still, somewhat resistant to feminist values. Not always, but but certainly much more interested in how uh, social relations make a difference. So, little steps, but some progress has been made. Could you explain about the different varieties of feminist epistemology? Right, yes. So in the 90s, uh, uh, Sandra Harding, who used to teach at UCLA and is perhaps, I would say, one of the two or three big names in, in feminist epistemology. She wrote a famous uh, uh, book on uh, the women, woman's question in science. Uh, she is famous for having categorized feminist epistemology into uh, three kinds. And in my book, I followed this categorization, which at the time uh, everybody used. And the categorization was between feminist empiricism, feminist standpoint epistemology, and feminist postmodernism. And the first two varieties, uh, feminist empiricism and feminist standpoint, uh, have somewhat merged. So they used to be very different from each other, but now uh, they've been modified so that they have become much more of a hybrid view. But in its origin, feminist empiricism was simply the view uh, that the ideals of science were good is just that the reality was bad. So that sexist science was simply bad science. 
and that the role of feminists was to do science uh, following the same methodology that scientists were taught, but do it better, do it in a less prejudicial way. Uh, well, uh, standpoint epistemology, it was the view that there is something distinctive uh, about women's uh, point of view and that uh, we could do science from the point of view of women. These days, as I said, empiricism and standpoint have somewhat merged and feminist philosophy of science now is particularly concerned with science that informs public policy. So there's some very good feminist epistemology stroke philosophy of science done these days on climate science, on vaccination hesitancy. For instance, Maya Goldenberg has a book that came out last month. And so it's the idea again of how, you know, science is imbued with values, especially science that directly informs public policy. And we are still in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, we are at least here in the UK, all the politicians say we follow the science, right? Uh, and the science they follow is science that informs public policy and it does that in a way that is imbued with values, right? Uh, so for instance, with, uh, with the vaccination hesitancy, right? Does the economy, how much does the value of mental well-being, uh, uh, econo economic, you know, uh, flourishing matters uh, compared to, I don't know, um, not getting COVID, right? So scientists, epidemiologists sort of figure all these things out in in their modeling right and so this kind of science can't be separate from values right uh and 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 some values are values of equality some values ignore uh the interests of say i don't know indigenous people black minorities in this country right this country being the uk uh aboriginal native people in, 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 in Australia, right? So sci this kind of science has to deal with values all the time. And so feminist philosophy of science is concerned with the role of feminist values in science. And because of the importance of values, even feminist empiricism has now somewhat merged with standpoint epistemology. Uh, and has taken on board some aspects of the third variety, which is feminist postmodernism, uh, perhaps the most famous person that belongs to that category is Donna Haraway. And, and the contribution, I think, that feminist postmodernism has made to feminist epistemology is the very notion that all knowledge is sit socially situated. Uh, what that means is that your social location shapes and informs not just the way you look at the world, but also which portions of the world you have access to. And so what knowledge you can acquire will very much depend on your social location. If somebody wants to get a good overview of the three varieties of feminist epistemology, I would recommend uh, uh, the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy entry on these topics. If you Google Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, you easily find. The author is Elizabeth Anderson, who is a prominent feminist empiricist. And the reason why I recommend that rather than books from Sandra Harding or myself is that the Stanford Encyclopedia is free to use by everyone. And that article is very good because it gives you an overview of all the positions. 
you explain about feminist imperialism? Yeah, so f feminist empiricism, uh, so it really, as I said, it just began as the view uh, that we just need to do science better, right? That it was the view that yes, science should be value neutral, right? Value should have no place in science, but they do, and that that is regrettable, and that these values are sexist values. And so the role of feminist empiricism was to reveal sexist values and do science in a way that was truly value neutral. No one believes that anymore. Uh, it's also doubtful that really the early feminist empiricists really believed that, but that's how Sandra Harding characterized them. Feminist empiricism now uh, is, is the view it's not the view that science should be value neutral uh, because science is not just about finding out the truth, but also finding out truths that are significant, that are important, that are useful. You know, going back to this idea that science needs to inform public policy, needs to inform engineering, needs to, right? So we, you know, why do we not have a science of, you know, how many I don't know, blades of grass are in different loans. I mean, sometimes people study how many blades of grass, but that's because it serves a further purpose, right? Science is not just about finding out any trivial truth, it's about finding out significant truth, but what makes a truth significant is what you value, right? What matters, right? So even feminist empiricism agrees that all science is value-laden, is informed, by values because it's concerned in significant truths. But the view here is, and Anderson is an example of this, what makes something true rather than false is just the evidence. And this evidence should be, should be accessible from different value positions. So what makes it significant is what values you have but what makes it true should be just a matter of the evidence, which should be available from different social locations, although from some social location it might be easier to access this evidence and from others it might be harder. But nevertheless, evidence should somewhat transcend an individual value location. So you still have this idea that science is impartial between different positions, but is not value neutral because science is concerned with what matters. So that's, that's empiricism. Uh, well, uh, let me just add a couple of things. That, that way I formulated it is sort of empiricism in its sort of purest form, but there are a lot of versions of empiricism that really merge with standpoint, which uh, gives to value. Uh, a much more significant in, you know, role, not just determining what we care about, but also determining what counts as evidence. What is the important standpoint in feminism? Right, so let me just say a couple of things about what standpoint is, and then I'll say something about why it's important. So the notion of a standpoint comes from Marx. Uh, Marx talked about the standpoint of the proletariat. So the view there was uh, 
that people who are central in a system, and so Marx was talking about capitalism, but have no vested interest in its continuation, are in a better position to understand the system well. Uh, so he, Marx thought that the proletariat, which are the working class, uh, could understand capitalism better than the capitalists because the capitalists had an interest, a vested interest in its continuation, right? And better than uh, what he called the Lampen proletariat, which you could sort of describe as the uh, the people who are outside the labor market, you know, the sort of long-term unemployed, uh, they, they are long-term unemployed, don't have an interest in the system, but they don't have first-hand knowledge of it because they are outside the labor market, uh, whether this is right or not. But the, the idea here is that the people who understand the system better are the people who have no vested interest in its continuation and first-hand experience of it. The first variety of feminist standpoint substituted the system of production as capitalism with the system of reproduction, uh, which is the idea not just of physically having children, uh, but looking after them, feeding them, and so on and so forth. And so uh, the idea here is that we lived in a system of reproduction, uh, that promoted the interest of men over women. Uh, the term for this system was patriarchy. And that women had this role in this system. They, they had firsthand experience of it and no vested interest in its continuation. And so the, their, from their position, it was easier to understand the true nature of the system. And the, and the view wasn't that just by in virtue of being a woman, you would understand the system better, but in, in, it was in virtue of being a woman who also had acquired some level of consciousness. And that's why it's called a feminist standpoint rather than a women's standpoint, right? And so the idea was that if you have a feminist consciousness and you have first-hand uh, experience of this system that doesn't benefit you, you'll have a better understanding of it. Uh, and this idea, the bit that is crucial is what is called the inversion thesis, is this idea that the underprivileged have a better understanding of the nature of their oppression than the people who occupy a dominant position. And then the idea then is that insofar as science is shaped by these social relations that uh, put women's interests at the periphery, right? Uh, then there is such a thing as, again, as feminist standpoint in science, one that is, has got better understanding of knowledge of the science topics that directly affect women's lives. And so, so the importance of feminist standpoint would be the importance of starting, I mean, uh, Harding puts it in this way, starting from the, from the social location of underprivileged people and, and looking at how science policies and so on and so forth affect them 
or look at how scientific theories are silent about the things that matter to these people. Uh, and now you can see that feminist empiricism and standpoint can merge in so far as you can take the empiricist methodology and say, but the stuff we study, the stuff that is significant, is the stuff that does not ignore the interests of these people. This, the underprivileged people can be women or can be uh, ethnic minority, it could be native, uh, you know, First Nation people, uh, and so on and so forth. What is objectivity? Uh, well, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> as many definitions there are as there are people. So when people um, tend to sort of talk about the importance of objectivity in science, they often seem to think that what matters is value neutrality. So there is a tendency to sort of think that science should be objective, right? And what they mean by science should be objective is science should be value neutral. And uh, as I said above, I don't think that's achievable. Uh, it's not achievable, achievable because uh, human beings' uh, ways of thinking are shaped by values through and through. You know, this is a feature of just the way human beings are. But also, as I pointed out when I talked about feminist empiricism, even if we could be value neutral, it's not desirable, right? Because science is not just the study of reality, it's the study of the facts about reality that matter, right? Uh, we, want, we don't want to waste our time learning about trivialities, right? We want to spend our efforts in learning about the things that are important. But, you know, that judgment, these things are important, is a value judgment, right? And so it wouldn't be desirable for science to, to be value neutral. Uh, but also, you know, another reason why science can't be value neutral and is not a good thing to try to be is what is known as inductive risk, right? So every time you study something, and you acquire some evidence, at some point, you have to make the decision to sort of say, this is good enough, right? Uh, but of course, there is always the possibility that you got it wrong, right? So you're always taking a chance. I mean, you're always taking some risk, right? Because certainty is not something humans can achieve. So there is always a risk that you get it wrong. And there's always a matter of balancing, right? Uh, the risk of getting it wrong versus the risk of spending more time and energy that you could spend on something else into really making sure that, that something is right, right? It becomes a sort of game of diminishing returns. That judgment of when enough evidence is enough, that is a value judgment, right? And so there are, there are so many reasons to, to see that, that values are inevitable in science and a good thing, right? So, so the notion of objectivity as value neutrality is a chimera. Uh, either other people, I think Elizabeth Anderson would start to say, says that objectivity is impartiality. So here would be the idea, of course, science is value laden, uh, values really matter, but it's important that whatever results we have 
are results that we can agree on, even if we adopt different values. And so you would have this idea of objectivity as, uh, as impartiality. I have reservations about that. I, 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 I think that uh, that too is unachievable. Uh, I don't know whether it's desirable, but I think it's unachievable. Uh, so what I, what I think instead we should do is, uh, instead of caring so much about objectivity, we should care about creating a way of doing science where a different range of values uh, can all be taken into account, right? Uh, so not all values are good. So values are not just a matter of preference. And so we need to have a discussion about values, right? Uh, but certainly, uh, if you like me are a pluralist, you know, there are people value different things and that's fair enough, right? They come at things from different uh, perspectives, you know, sexist values are not fair enough, right? But even if you sort of accept a range of values, there will still be differences, right? So there will still be people say that when it comes to the science of vaccinations, care more about population level results, and there will be people who care more about their kid, right? You know, the, the, the chances of their kid of getting the very serious or side effect, right? So people look at things from different values, is that fair enough? And one way of sort of stop caring so much about objectivity and care more about democracy is let's try to do a science that cater for as many values that are morally acceptable as possible, right? Let's try to find a science that speaks to people different values. Uh, and, so, uh, and so I would focus less on objectivity and more on uh, a democratization of science uh, that, that takes into account a variety of values. This is not to say that anything goes, right? I mean, if you get it wrong, the bridge will not stay up, right? Uh, but what is to say is that you can look at things from different perspectives. And when you do, you will put your time and effort into finding out different things. But also, you will use concepts that are different, and that will inform the way you understand things. So uh, a good example that Anderson gets from the social science of divorce is you can think of divorce as the breaking up of a family, or you can think of divorce as the creation of a new kind of family. And if you think of divorce as the creation of a new kind of family, uh, then you will look at different uh, consequences of the creation of this new kind of family. But if you think of divorce as the breakup of a family, then your inquiry will go in a different direction. Yeah, and that's, so that's a really good sorry. That's a really good point. Yeah, thanks very much for coming onto the program today.